welcome to the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, aka The Whip Show. Your co-hosts, Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple and Devastating Daryl Pace, each and every week will bring in some of the top pro wrestlers from around the world. I'm talking WWE, WCW, Impact Wrestling, NWA, and more. So sit back, get your favorite drink, and listen to some great stories told by those amazing and sometimes crazy pro wrestling superstars. Welcome everybody to the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders podcast, aka The Whip Show. Now I'm going to tell you, I might stutter a little bit because I was talking to my partner, Devastating Daryl Pace, and he said we have my favorite wrestler of all time. And I know each and every week we do a mark out moment. Well, this is going to be my mark out moment. Well, if you don't know what it is, you've been watching long enough. I am Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple, and I'm here with my partner, Devastating Daryl Pace. Now, now Deshaun, you know what? I know, I know you normally do the intros. I'm not trying to step on you, man. But for this show, when we started the show, we had two guys. We said, who are our dream guests? We said, Hart, and we said another guy. I don't have Bret Hart today. Whoa, 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 You mean you got Hogan on the show? Look, look, I know you heard rumblings about it. There's been a lot going on this week for me to get this guy, okay? I, 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 I had to beg and plead. I had to call in favors. But, man, I was able to secure him, man. I got him for the show. So, so I know you do the intro, man, but let me do it this one time, okay? I, I'm, I'm nervous to do this, man. This man, I talked to him earlier today. He, he rode his Harley, right? He's down in Florida, man, hanging and banging from the gym. Rode his Harley to get back to his house. A mountain was in his way. He cut down the mountain with the side of his hand, man. He got there, and now he's right in front of us, getting ready to join our show for the first time. The one, the only, the man, Hogan. What's going on, bro? Without what? That's your wrong Hogan, baby. Right here, Randomania, oh. running wild on you, brother. Wait, 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 Daryl. I thought you said. You said Hogan. I can't hear you. I can't. I can't hear you. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Deshaun, see, 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 Hogan. What you don't know is Deshaun. He, he, he. His whole career was based on watching you when you was a little kid. Growing up to be like you, his clothes is like you. Everything he's done is to be like you, man. Basically, didn't come true. All right. Well, did he right. take his vitamins? Did he say his prayers? Do you wear your mask? All right. You're nice to the ladies. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, if you don't know what's going on right now, we have another great star on our show. See, we have all types of surprises on the whip show. And in season Woo. two, we got Mr. Randy Hogan. How are you doing today, sir? Man, I am wonderful. I can't believe that after all this time, I'm making it back to the Motor City number one show, baby, with the whip dog who is devastating there. I'm just, I'm just wetting my pants. Whoa, whoa, you ready, man? Well, you just talked about making it back to the Motor City. Um, let these people know where you started from before you moved out there in Florida. 
When I was a little boy, you mean? Yes, sir. I was born and raised in Hazel Park, Michigan, Eight Mile and John R. area. Used to go to the wrestling shows when my grandparents got me started, man. The old Olympic. They didn't have Cobo Hall or nothing. It was at the Olympia. And I used to go see Dick the Bruiser and Killer Kowalski and all them old guys like that. Um, and then they moved over to Kobo, and she took it over in that. So then I had raised up with the Sheik and uh, all his, but Bobo Brazil and that whole bunch. So, so that was it, man. This man is old school Detroit wrestling fan. He knows about the Sheik. He talked about Olympia. Everybody don't know about that, man. So you definitely had your roots in the wrestling business. So <laughs> I love it. Going to see those shows, is that what drew you in? What made you first want to be a wrestler? I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I've been on a few different podcasts, a bunch of them. I never told the stories. Never told the truth in these things because nobody ever asked. So I'm going to tell you. Long story short, I was a fan since I was six, seven years old when we used to go, like I said, Olympia, Kobo, the State Fair had them for a while, you know, guys like that. Um, so I grew up as a fan. And my grandparents, they believed every last move. Every, you know, like the, uh, everything was real. You know, don't say that there's pre-planned or faked or whatever words they want to call it. So I kept that. And all my whole life, I was a fan, a number one fan, Mark, my whole life. So... Get ahead, I got a little bit older, still a fan, still going to the matches, still walking. Now in Cobo Hall, they had, they walked up a ramp till they got in the arena. I used to sit right where they walked in. We had the same seats, me, my grandma, and my grandpa, all the time. My mom and dad, they just thought this stuff was just goofy, you know? So my grandparents took me all the time. Biggest day I had was when I turned 16, I got my driver's license, had me a little part-time job, and I took them to the wrestling matches. Classic, you know, one, one of the highlights. Anyways, um, being a fan, I never lost interest in it. So bump ahead till I was in my uh, late 20s. I played in a band called Brandy. Okay. And uh, we played all around the Detroit area and, and Southfield and all your neck of the woods and everything, all the clubs and uh in canada and we were playing on the road we had a little eight-piece show group we were doing some horn stuff and everything so we were playing a holiday inn circuit in the south they were playing a holiday inn in columbus georgia well every wednesday night they had tv taping for georgia championship wrestling which was part of jim crockett's nwa one of the territories and uh, and again i go all the time um I was managing a restaurant and they closed the restaurant down. Still being a fan, didn't know what to do. I was living in Boca Raton now. So when I was in Columbus and they had the wrestling there, the wrestlers used to stay at the Holiday Inn. We were playing at a lot. And I knew these guys, Wahoo McDaniel, uh, Continental Lover, Eddie Mansfield all the time. So anyways, I got to be pretty tight with Eddie Mansfield. Now, there's a brother tag team, big in the South in the day, the Oats, Jerry Oats and Ted Oats. And, uh, and I got to know them, went to Jerry's gym, 
Eddie Mansfield used to come over the Holiday Inn when I was there because that way he could lay in the sun by the by the pool. And uh, so we got to be pretty good acquaintances. So I ended up going down to uh, moving down to uh, Boca Raton, down to Florida, and closed the restaurant that I was managing. So I said, "Well, what am I going to do now?" I said, "You know, I wasn't smart at all at the time." I said. I wonder if this wrestling is real or is it fake, as they say. I wonder. So I said, I'm going to find out. So I picked up the phone and I called Jerry Oates, his gym. And I said, Jerry, do you know anybody down here that trains wrestling? Now, you didn't have backyard wrestling. You didn't have a little wrestling school or somebody teaching wrestling every block away. It was almost like magicians. It was a closed session um, the secrets that uh, kayfabe was alive to said, you know, uh, the secrets were not out. Um, you had to really know somebody. So Jerry had just come back, uh, from a little tour of Japan. And I said, Jerry, anybody down here trained? He said, the only guy I know down there is Hiro Matsuda. Uh, he trained, uh, he trained your buddy Hulk, um, uh, um, Luger, a bunch of other guys down here. But he was very picky, very selective, and very expensive, what he did. But Jerry said, well, you know, I train guys up here, too. And I knew he did, but I didn't want to say nothing. So I talked to him, negotiated, and a couple of days later, I packed everything up in my car, drove back up to Columbus, Georgia, got an apartment, got a job managing a Poe Folks restaurant, took my money, and now I'm going to learn how to wrestle. So Jerry had a, had a back room, like an, uh, an aerobic-type room in his gym. No ring, no nothing, just a gym mat, a regular gym mat like you'd have in school. And that's what we started training on. Now, there wasn't no um, training like by the second or third time you're doing shit off the top rope and all that kind of stuff. Wasn't none of that, okay? You're going a week just learning how to lock up right and how to make it. Okay, then you learn how to take a bump. And when you learn to take a back bump, you learn a front bump. And then you got to teach yourself how to do a somersault and all this other stuff before you even learn how to do a headlock or a hamlock. So we were doing leapfrogs, you know, learning how to guide leapfrogs. I came down on my ankle and didn't break it, but did a lot of damage. So that put me out of it for a few months, out of training. Well, in the meantime, Jerry's brother, Ted, opened up a, a wrestling school, same city in that, um, in a little storefront. And he had a ring in there. So I came back, because I already paid my money to Jerry. Ted hit me up for some extra. And I said, well, that's okay. So, so I went and I literally had tears in my eyes the first time I stepped in a real ring. I said, I can't believe it. You know, I'm thinking of my grandparents, you know, a million things go through, you know. And I mean, I just, I just, I was in awe of the whole situation. Now, Ted and Jerry are both technically great. They're like a Dean Malenko or an Eddie Guerrero, whatever, without a lot of high point. Matt wrestling, great teachers, old school. They teach you what you need to know. They didn't teach you how to punch. They didn't teach you how to kick. They taught you how to wrestle, how to maneuver around the mats, um, which is kind of a lost art nowadays. But uh, so I came back and I, I did that and trained for 13 months. 
Never had a match. 13 months. Went still, still a big fan. Went to the, the matches in Columbus, Georgia at the auditorium on Wednesday night, like I had done. And uh, the guy I was training with, his name was Bill Smith. He was putting up the ring. So I go down and I said, Bill, what are you doing here? Because I haven't seen him in a long time. He says, well, he said, when they're in town, they rent the ring from me. He said, are you doing anything? I said, man, it's been months. I don't do anything wrestling-wise. And he says, well, he said, I wrestle in this little bar up in, I think it was Athens, Georgia, some little hick town way up in North Georgia. He says, why don't you come with me sometime and bring your stuff? And I said, well, I'm not going to bring my stuff, but I'd like to come watch it. So I went a couple of weeks. And then he talked to me, and I brought my stuff one week. Just that week, um, a guy didn't show up. So he said, uh, the promoter asked Bill, he said, do you think he wants to work? Now, I am so green. Like I said, they taught you how to wrestle, but nothing more. So I said, well, yeah, that'd be fun. I'll do it. So now I'm in a bar, bunch of drug hillbillies all around me up in North Georgia, military type town. And uh, he says, okay, you're going to wrestle as, um, what do you want your name to be? And I said, well, my dad's name is Frank. So how about Randy Franklin? He says, okay. So Randy Franklin, he said, you're going to work against this guy called Animal. And, uh, and he's going to go over. I says, okay. So I get back to the locker room. I says, Bill, I says, what's going over mean? Does that mean he's going over the top rope or I'm going over the top? He says, no, he's going to win. Oh, okay. That's how green I was after 13 months. That was, that was good training. They didn't teach you the talk. They didn't teach you nothing. They taught you how to wrestle. So I went in, and of course I got beat, but technically I was pretty sound. I didn't get hurt, and I had a ball. So the promoter says, can you come back next week? I said, sure. He says, you know, he says, you look a little bit like that, that Hulk Hogan guy who was just coming up. Now, this is late 70s, whatever. He says, so we're going to call you Hal Hogan. So I thought about it, and I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you want to do the Hogan, that's fine, but do Randy, because people are going to say Hal, and I won't know who they're, they're talking about. So I said, okay, you're going to be Randy Hogan. So I went home, had my girlfriend, bleached my hair, bleached my mustache, bleached my eyebrows, dark brown to blonde. And I always had a tan, and I was in some kind of shape back then. So, uh, so the next time I wrestled up in this little bar, and I think I got a $15 payoff, maybe. <laughs> and uh, um, so we had a draw, a Broadway, as they call it back then. And there's, you know, of course, other guys on the card that are wrestling, and you talk to them, and they wrestle other places. And at least back then, common courtesy is if you go to a match to see somebody, they introduce you to the promoter. Hey, John, if you need somebody, Randy Hogan, he's a good worker. I know him, da 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 so word travels, and that's how you started getting on little weekend gigs all the time, wrestling. So I'm getting up, and the Hogan gimmick is starting to get over. Um, and I, I, I never once portrayed myself as Hogan's brother, cousin, uncle, nothing, you know. I was Randy Hogan. He just happens to look like me. I can't help that, you know. I just could not help it because I'm – Two years older than him right now. So um, we'll get into that stuff later. Anyways, 
So I wrestled, so I'm wrestling on the show and, uh, and they brought in some semi names. You know, it was a main event once in a while, a little independent show and that. And they brought in Mike Jackson, our action Mike Jackson, who was a self-proclaimed Alabama junior heavyweight champion for about 50 years. In fact, he was on AEW about a month ago, 70 years old wrestling. So anyways, I said, and I was in the semi-main event, and he was in the main event. And I said, Mike, I said, how do you get on TV? How do you get around these big guys? And he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what. He says, I take guys up to TV. He's, so he was like the booker's booker, you know. He would bring all the job guys up uh, to TBS. This is when Crockett had it. He says, yeah. He says, so the same story as before. I can't guarantee you a match. He said, well, bring your stuff, whatever. So I came up a couple weeks, nothing happened. And then uh, they were short. J.J. Dillon was doing the booking at the time and goes to Mike said, uh, you know, can Hogan work? Mike says, sure. So he says, I got an idea. So get your stuff on. So, okay, so I'm getting my stuff on. Never been in a ring with a big guy before, a big time guy, a name guy. So here I am, WTBS Studios, Crockett's NWA, okay, my first match, tag match against the Barbarian and the Warlord. Now, these guys are big. They're huge. Um, just walking in the locker room, again, like when I first stepped in the ring, I was in awe. I'm sitting there, and you got Ricky Steamboat. You got Dusty Rhodes. You got um, Jimmy Cornette and the Midnight Express, and you had Paulie Dangerously at the time. Um, you had all these big guys, and I'm like a kid in a candy shop. I just want to get pictures and autographs, but you got to play it cool. So anyways, I'm in there, and Barbarian Warlord, and I say, I know what's going to happen. So, uh, so I'm in the match, and Teddy Long at the time, he was a referee. Uh -huh. So he was refereeing. He was great. He'd say, watch the clothesline, Hogan. Watch this, Hogan. Watch this. He was, like, guiding me through. So I'm in there with a barbarian, and he goes to shoot me in the ropes, and he goes, boo-boo. I said, what? You know, I'm, I'm thinking this, and I don't know what he's going to do. Boo-boo. What the hell is that? So he shoots me off the ropes. Now, this is my first time on TV. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm full of adrenaline. I hit them ropes 100 miles an hour. Came off full force, not knowing what to expect. Next thing I know, I got a size 14 right in my face. What he said when he shoot me off was big boot. Like, watch for the big boot. <laughs> you know, but he's like a, one of those small guys, you know, and heavy accent, you know, boo boo. And he was saying big boot. So anyway, he hit my nose, crack splattered all over and stuff. So then the, the, uh, the warlord come in for the finish. I mean, I was finished anyways. Now the warlord's got to be six, seven, six, eight. He's huge. I never been up in the air very high. So he presses me over his head. Now I'm thinking, holy shit, here I am. I'm seven, eight feet in the air and he's going to drop me. So he did. He dropped me and I landed perfect. Didn't feel a thing. I just wanted to jump up and say yes, you know. <laughs> I did. So I got pinned anyways. And oh, man. So I went through that. And my nose busted up, blood all over. And uh, so J.J. Dillon, he come on, says, Hogan, come back next week. I said, man, I'll come back forever. Okay. So, uh, so that's how that started. What I didn't find out until a year or so later was 
at that time they were paying TV, I think it was $150 per match. Mm -hmm. I was getting 50. Oh. Mike Jackson was taking 100. Oh. <laughs> and he was taking them from all the boys. There was about five or six of us he brought up there. So he's real. <laughs> so now the big guy, the big boys heard about it, found out about it, and put a stop to it. So uh, we were getting Moolah, basically, basically, you know, the, how Moolah had the women and, you know, and then she yes, like, yes, that was it. That was it. Taking the speech, but we didn't know he was. We're stupid. We don't know. We're just glad to be on TV, you know. So, uh, so I started going back week after week, but there was a reason too. Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, I knew how to wrestle. A lot of jobbers at the time, you didn't. You were in the 30 seconds, you got your brains beat out. So what happened is, is they would actually say sometimes that, okay, you're going to wrestle a guy, say a Brad Armstrong or somebody who's a good wrestler. They want you to wrestle with them, get some stuff. I'm in there with, uh, well, like Abdul the Butcher or uh, Bam Bam Bigelow at the time. And they just want you to be jobbed out because they want to make them look vicious and everything. So I could swim in every, any pond. Yeah. I got banged up a lot, never complained. Thank the guys for the batch afterwards, very polite and everything else. And they get to know you after a while. So I later found out too that, uh, that some of the bigger guys like Sting and the Midnight Express and uh, uh, Luger and those guys, they actually had a little say-so on TV as to who they worked. Mm -hmm. George South worked a lot in WCW and NWA. He was, he was the, the prime enhancement guy, whatever you wanted to call us. And Flair always wanted to work him. Flair says, give me George South. Well, I got to the point where um, I was wrestling Sting and Lex Luger, who were tag team partners at the time, a lot, and Jimmy Cornette and Midnight Express. So they would say, let us work with Hogan. Um, so that, again, longevity, that's how I got to do it for as long as I did. But also what happened is this is when they were just starting the wars, you know, Ted Turner just bought it from Crockett and they changed. Um, a lot of the jobbers, old school terminology, the enhancement guys, the carpenters, the star makers, whatever you wanted to call us. A lot of the guys got let go because they couldn't work. So when uh, Ted Turner's guys came in with Bischoff and Jim Hurd and guys like that, they wanted guys that actually could work a match. They wanted to get away from the squash jobs on a regular basis. So George South, me, um, half a dozen other guys to kept us on. So I was actually there through the transition of NWA into Ted Turner's WCW. And, uh, and like I said, never complained, never did nothing, and that's how I worked. And I got to, to the point where I was there and they knew me, and now if I was in a tag match, they wouldn't pin me. They'd pay my, pin my opponent, you know. Out of courtesy, they just wouldn't pin me anymore. You know? wow. I guess because they figured I'd paid my dues. But back to the Hogan thing, it was very unusual that they wouldn't make you change your name. You know, guys go different associations, different territories at the time. They changed their name a little bit, you know. Ultimate Warrior to the Warrior. Uh, Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hogan things, but they never changed my name. I was always Randy Hogan. So then I heard that the thing was because now Hulk Hogan was this big thing and 
Now we got a Randy Hogan, so we're going to beat his brains out and show superiority over the Hogans, you know. So, uh, so that's it. Yeah, WCW, we're tougher than the WWF because look what we do uh, to a Hogan. You know, I'm, so, I'm glad uh, you said that. Not to cut you off, but I'm glad you said that because that was one question I wanted to ask. Um, I watched a lot of your matches because you've actually been in the ring with Vader and all types of guys, like you said, Paul. But I noticed once Jesse was on commentary, he definitely was dropping some uh, tidbits about. Yes, he did. WCW's version of Hogan and WWS version. Talk about that. And what was really funny too is uh, Jimmy Cornette was doing. Um, commentary in one of my matches. And I don't know who it was against, whatever. But he says, boy, I bet he wishes his big brother was here now <laughs> talking about me. So now everybody thinks I'm his brother, you know, or whatever else. So that Hogan mystique went on, even though I never said it, even the little indie shows that I worked and everything else. I never said that I was any relation. People just assumed. I didn't, I didn't wear the gimmick or nothing. Nothing at all. You know, I had turquoise shoes and boots, uh, a robe, the black velvet robe with turquoise inside. I, I was Randy Hogan. I, like I said, I couldn't help the fact that he looks like me. I mean, I just can't get over it. So uh, only, I'll tell you that, I'll go back about two or three years. And all of a sudden, after being out of it for 30 years, there's a resurgence in interest in some of the older guys, some of the nostalgic things, the 80s, the 90s, the old NWA, the WCW, you know, the old guys in that, which is why now you got so many of these conventions going on. So, uh, so I got, I got on a convention, at a convention, I got a call from a vendor, you know, do you want to do this, whatever else? I said, well, sure. It was up in New York. And, uh, so I went up and I said, okay, you got to do, you know, you're going to do the, the Kogan gimmick. I said, well, whatever you want, you know. So, the hat, the shades, I did it, I, I did it, and I came out with this, and I had the, uh, uh, I got, like your shirt, I got the same shirt, except it says Randomania. Same everything, same colors and that. So I was in the red and yellow at this convention, selling pictures, autographs, all that kind of stuff. It went over. Other people wanted it. So that's why really, after my wrestling career, the Hulk Hogan type Randomania thing came alive. It wasn't alive back in the day. That's what's so, that's what's so funny. I can't believe the interest that there is now in, in the old stuff. And, and, uh, and, you know, Hulk, he's always in the news for one thing or another. And uh, so he's alive. I'm alive. Uh, am I talking too much? No, no, no. no you're, you're, you're good. Let's go, world, baby. Talk. And I'll stop. I something, though. Okay, so, so I'm up in New York last year at the, at the big event last year. They called it the big event yeah. in New York convention. About 4,000 people go through there. And they had everybody a who's who wrestling there. Undertaker was there. Um, Braun Strowman was there. And they had 74 wrestlers, and all of them were big names, pretty much except me. I was just a little guy. But uh, so I'm, I'm at this convention with all these people and people, I couldn't believe it. They want to take the picture with me or they want to buy a picture. You know, you wouldn't spend $3 a ticket to see me in the old days. And now you're spending $25 on a, on a picture or something. It was great. So I'm up there 
in New York and I'm walking around the tables as much as I can. It's all business. You don't have time to socialize with a lot of guys. And uh, so I'm walking around and I'm seeing all these stars. And man, I just want to get autographs. It brought me back to the old Detroit days. I was a fan again, but I had to know my place. So uh, it was just, just such an experience. And then from there, they had a, another show next week, uh, WrestleFest 3 or something in Albany, New York. So we went up there, you know. And uh, we had like a little jobber area, I think it was. It was I was at one table here, and uh, from WWF days, Barry Horowitz was sitting right next to me. And we got talking. He lives about an hour from me down here. I didn't know it at the time. Didn't know him. And he had some other old jobbers, like Gilberg was up there, and uh, James Ellsworth. And then I said, man, we got to get a picture together. You know, just the job, the real job squad. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> It was, it was just, it was just such an experience. So that kind of brings me to where I'm at now. And now that all the conventions have been shut down and everything else, and every vendor out there's got an auction, you know, on, on all the pages selling stuff and everything else. So, so I bumped up my merchandise and I just sell it myself on Facebook. And, uh, and that's what we're doing until the conventions get started again. Whoa, whoa, man. Making the rounds. So that's kind of a whole life story up till today. Yeah. No, it's an honor for you to have us have, for you to be on our show. I mean, uh, one question I wanted to definitely ask was um, when when they brought in that uh, that imposter guy, the, the, whoever this guy is. But that uh, yeah, yeah. They brought the, in that the, imposter the guy. impersonator. <laughs> yeah, that, that impersonator. It was that when they just, you know, it's like, well, how did you end things at WCW? Is that when they decided to go a different way with you because they're bringing him in? Or what, what happened? How did you wrap things up with WCW? Well, I actually wrapped things up because I was in Savannah, Georgia, doing TV taping against Rick Steiner. He gave me a, he used to do a lot of these belly-to-back suplexes, okay? Wrestled him a few times, and all he drops me on my head. So I said, well, I'm going to turn this time a little bit because I felt him go behind me. And I came back my shoulder and cracked my clavicle. Oh. That little bone goes across. So that was pretty much the end of it right there um, as far as full time. I was getting older at the time, too. You know, I was in my mid-40s at the time, getting harder to get up and everything. So, uh, so I moved down to Florida and... Because of my background, I, I bought a restaurant. And the newspaper, the local paper, picked up and said, you know, it was Cedar River Seafood, Randy Hogan's Cedar River Seafood, it was called. And the, the paper picked it up and said, professional wrestler Randy Hogan, you know, just bought this place. So now I figured they're using my name for advertising, so I got to keep the Hogan gimmick going again. Yeah. So I kept my hair blonde and I was kind of like a Ronald McDonald, you know, the little kids would say, mom and dad, mom and dad would say, where do you want to go eat? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan. Because when they came in there, I gave him a little five by seven picture and I talked to him and tell him a little about this, a little bit about that guy, whatever else they all wanted the stories and everything. So, so I kind of wrote that out. Well, now WCW, instead of being at uh, TBS Studios, they, they came down here to Disney, which was MGM Studios at the time. That's where they did their TV tapes. Well, that's about 45 minutes from me. So I made some calls. So now when they did TV taping, here I am back on TV doing the same thing I was doing before, uh, which actually gave me more credibility in my restaurant. 
So I went back in, but that was just a little part-time thing. And again, I'm, I'm getting older and it was harder to get up in the mornings and, and everything else. So that was pretty much the wind down of my, uh, of my career there. You know, I'd sell a little independent thing here and there. I'd be a guest referee or, or uh, go talk to a, a, a kid's detention home or, or something, you know, just doing my part. But uh, that, was, that was pretty much, it only ended because Rick Steiner cracked me. And I said, enough of this crap. I'm too old for this. No, that, that clears up a lot because I remember even Jim Cornette. You you can, you you come up, you know, if you're on a you know on YouTube, a lot of times there's videos dedicated to you. And I know you came up with Jim Cornette, and he was kind of like, well, I think when Hogan came in, maybe something happened. So that clears up. Jim Cornette is absolutely, in my book, wonderful. He was always good to me. He treated me like a million bucks. Very respectful, I should say, for a jobber. You know, um, of course, I lost touch with him, but. Uh, they did an article, Bill Apter did, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and it had Randomania versus Hulkamania. The pictures on the internet, too, where Jimmy Cornette's holding the sign 24-inch, where, where Fred Blassie's with Hulk with his 24-inch pythons, and I have my 24-centimeter pythons. <laughs> anyway, it got really popular, and I just found a copy of that magazine, so I'm going to have a copy uh, printed and off and everything. But, uh, yeah, people say, oh, Jimmy Cornette managed you? No, we just took a promo picture together. You know, there's so much stuff if you look at the internet that's real and not real. You know, <laughs> Wikipedia stuff, for instance, is about 70% true. Um, just a lot of these sheets, they don't know. So they pick stuff out of the air and make it up sometimes. For sure. Well, I want to, uh, you used the word earlier. I wasn't going to use that word, but you used it. So I'm going to say it the term jobber. I was going to yeah. say enhancement talent, but you used it. But a lot of times, because on this show, we've not only had wrestlers, we've had champions, but we've also had production people, we've had referees. Right. But the jobber has a very important spot also in the show. Could you explain to the younger fans that are not truly understanding that they, all they do is get pinned, that's it. What the jobber's responsibility is in the whole controlled atmosphere of pro wrestling? Well... Obviously, the bottom line, there's four terms that we're called, we were called, okay? One was jobber, and some old guys hate that term. Eric Bischoff is the one that come up with enhancement. Somebody else come up with carpenter, and somebody else star maker. So going backward, um, part of our job was to make stars out of whoever it was, star maker enhancement it was our job to enhance whatever strengths skills or gimmicks that the over guys had um carpenters we built them we built them you know we built the stars as a carpenter would do and jobber you know it's funny because if you think about it we all well not all of us but if we go to work you got a job right you do a job so what's the difference? You're a jobber, I'm a jobber, everybody's a jobber if you got a job. So why people are offended by that, I have no idea. Maybe because back in the day, um, jobbers were just pieces of meat. They didn't know how to wrestle. They were just in there, they're gonna get thrown around, they're gonna get pinned, and that's gonna be the end of it. Um, but that all changed. And now you don't have jobbers anymore, you know, or enhancement people so much. You got mid-card guys, you got the 
upper tier guys, the over guys, but there's not a whole lot of room down here. And it's a shame because of all the little independent stuff going on. These kids don't have a chance, you know? I mean, I started with a little bar and just through wrestling these little shows for 10 or 15 or 20 bucks, and it cost me $30 to get there and gas them back. Um, just by doing that, you met enough people that you actually got to really live the dream. I got to mix up with some of the real big guys, the stars that my heroes, I guess at the time, you know, how lucky I was. Kids don't have that anymore. They don't, they don't all have those opportunities and it's a shame. And let me ask you about that because I think it, it, well, how, how you feel about it, because for me, I think it's important to have that role because while, while that match was happening, you know, if you got Jake Roberts versus Randy Hogan, the announcer is going to be talking about Jake, right? So it gives Jake an opportunity to have a win and get a story, right? Their focus is on Jake, what Jake's doing. but And he's going to get the win. He's going to show off. And I, and I don't think that happens today because now you got two guys. Somebody's going to not look so good coming out of this. And, and even for the enhancement talent, they, they got stories there too. We, we got, you know, guys like you and other people that people saw all the time and people would root for I mean, how do you feel about that, you know, missing from today's world of wrestling? Now, you can, let's say you can turn on Raw or um, not so much AEW because they're still in the growing stage, but Raw or SmackDown or whatever on a Monday night and you can see a main event. What would normally be a main event at a, uh, at a pay-per-view or a big house show like they have. So you can see it on TV right now. So the aura is gone. Um, remember in the, in the old days when there was a world champion, and I'm going back, Buddy Rogers, Luthez, Bruno Sammartino, uh, even Flair, Harley Race. When they had a world title, man, they had it for years. They'd drop it, but they'd pick it up the next week in another town, whatever. Now you got different titles. you got different champions every couple of months. Um, there's no big stars anymore. There's no Hulk Hogan's. There's no Bruno San Martino's. There's no Ric Flair's. You know, you got a bunch of, and, and I'm not knocking any of the names I'm going to use, but you got like Cody Rhodes. You know, Cody Rhodes was a mid-card guy. But luckily, you know, he met the right guy and had enough money, and now he's made himself a, a star in an association. Um, it, it's just... It, the business has changed so much that way. That's why they don't have $60 pay-per-views. You pay $9.95 a month or whatever it is, you know, and you get to see them for free every couple of months. Um, NXT, they're trying to make into a major association, another federation. And it's not going to happen because in people's minds and everything else, NXT is still a minor league boot camp for WWE. And it's always going to be that way. They bring some of their their stars back. They bring like Charlotte or Finn Balor. They bring guys in um, like that back and forth to NXT. But basically, there's a bunch of people you don't know. Um, that's that's another problem. I can't personally. I cannot get invested in NXT or AEW. Um, reason being is. I don't know most of these kids. I don't know them. I like to turn on the tube when I saw um, 
Ricky Steamboat and, and Dusty Rhodes and, and, and cutting real promos and stuff. And, and you knew the guys and you knew the stories, you knew their background. You could follow them around. Now, you know, WWE and SmackDown has got 70, 75% of familiar, but they're bringing up the new blood, which they have to do to survive. But I'm not sure they're always doing it in the right way. But what do I know, you know? But that's, that's the problem. There's just not any big stars anymore. There is not one person that is going to revolutionize the business like a Hulk Hogan did or even Bruno San Martino in his day, you know, or a, a style and profile of Ric Flair. There's no personalities like that anymore. Um, there's a lot of talent, a lot of talent, but nothing is grabbing the industry by the shirt tails. Now, I'm glad you said that because that's going to segue into our next segment. Now, I, I'm not sure if you watch a lot of the uh, programming right now. WWE Impact. But our segment is called Book Yourself. If you were to take Randy Hogan in 2020, where would you drop him at right now and make it financially uh, profitable? You mean, where would I show up in the mix? And yeah, where, where would you put, if you could book yourself somewhere right now, a young Randy Hogan, where could you book yourself and make it? Oh, young Randy Hogan. Yeah, and what, and what would the storyline be? Like, if you could say right now, if I showed up on X promotion, what's the, what's the storyline I could put together that would make some money? Well, I would probably go either with the the new NWA with Nick Aldis and guys, or maybe AEW, okay? There's no place for me in cartoons and showbiz like WWE. And NXT is, it, it's just, it's, it's a half a step below, you know? AEW is a good proving ground. It's a place where you can get noticed. It's a place where you can actually show your skills uh, both mic skills and wrestling skills. It's a place where you get uh, national TV exposure. You get your face seen. You build a little bit of a reputation. Um, and as you get popular and the tickets start to sell, then you see Randy Hogan and Cody Rhodes going for the title down the road. You know, Right now, Cody does that thing on AEW every week where he's wrestling an independent guy. Every week, it's like an open challenge for the for whichever title is TNT title or something. Um, so yeah, I could see me in there and I can say, you know, the resurgence of the Hogan's, you know? Nice. Nice. Well, I do got to ask this as well. I was going to wait to the end of the show, but I'm going to ask it now. You already stated that you purposely, you were not trying to be Hogan's brother, cousin, anything like that. Absolutely. They promoted that. Not you, which I understand. Like I said, I've watched your matches. You absolutely did not. Your outfit was totally different. Your ring gear was totally different. But does Hogan know what a character? Have you guys Man, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. Let me tell you. This is a short story. It's okay. Now, I was going to get to it earlier, but I forgot because I'm old and I got too many turnbuckles in the head. But when I was up in New York in March, now, I had never met Hulk Hogan. Never met him in my life. Lives an hour away from me. Never met him. Closest I got to being acknowledged by him was when he jumped to WCW, they had like a ticker tape parade at Disney World. 
Okay, he was up on the stage. I was working for. I had a little little uh, wrestling show on, the, on a little radio station. Just a little three minute thing, you know, about what's going to happen. And I'd take it from the dirt sheets at the time because there was no internet back then. So Hogan's going to come do this ticker ticker tape parade, and uh, the radio station says, "Why don't you go?" So they got me a press pass, and I actually went, and I was right in front of the stage with him and again there's something on the internet i saw the other day that has me shown there with my notepad so he's doing his thing and i'm right there in front just in awe of this guy and he looks and then he looked back and just kind of nodded it's like to me an acknowledgement i see you and that was it okay all i've had to do with him now my whole career i'm wondering what happens if I ever really meet this guy face to face? I mean, is he going to kick my ass? What's he going to do? You know, oh, what's he going to do? So uh, I go up to New York last March at the big event convention. And who's at the table 10 feet away, right across from me, Jimmy Hart. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm agonizing over this all day, you know, and I had, again, I had the tie dyed, uh, I had the shirt on that you got, you know, glasses in yellow and red, and I had the tie-dye pants. I had my, my, my yellow real wrestling boots on, not those costume things. So I said, damn it, I'm going to do it. So I walked across. I said very timidly, excuse me, Jimmy, you know, can I get a picture with you? He says, sure, brother. Very nice. Got a picture. And I said, I, I just very appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, I, I didn't really know. I was a little bit nervous coming on. And he says, don't worry about it. He says, let me tell you. He says, I talk to Terry oh, almost every day. They're like best friends in real life. Business partners, good friends. He said, not that you're the topic of conversation, but he's aware of you. And we see what's going on. And we both appreciate the way that you have always I've, I've never gotten in any controversy, no, no, no boozing, no drugs, no nothing like that. Um, never arrests. When he went NWA, NWO turning into a heel, I turned into a heel. I just followed his lead all the time. And again, never once claiming to be anything that I wasn't. I let the people. That, that's what wrestling is, you know. It's, it's, it's a fantasy, you know. I will be whatever you want me to be. And... Uh, so Jimmy said, no. He said, I love the gimmick. He says, I love your outfit. He said, you don't worry about a thing. And it was like a seal of approval at my age, you know. And again, I got to say, here I am going back to that little kid at the Olympia Auditorium, you know, talking to a real wrestler, a real guy that I'm a fan of, that's now telling me, it's okay, we approve. So that's the whole Hulk Hogan, Randy Hogan, Jimmy Hart connection right there. I'm glad you touched on that because I've actually seen the video when Hogan got signed to WCW. You were there. You just gave us an exclusive. I didn't know it was a shoot shoot. I thought WCW put you there. I didn't know. No. You no, really no, were there. No. Oh, wow. I was working for a talk. It was a talk radio station. Nice. And, uh, and I was selling, selling ads and stuff, just doing sales work. And, of course, they knew that, uh, you know, I had wrestled in that. And they said, well, why don't you do this little wrestling show thing? I said, well, what do you mean? And I had no clue. 
They said, well, we'll give you, you know, two or three minutes and we'll do a little spotlight and we'll call you the chameleon. So nobody knew who I was. I'm just a guy that's spreading some dirt, you know? So I was, uh, um, I, I wouldn't get any heat from anybody. And, and, and that was it. So yeah, it was, it was a real shoot, um, wow. legit story. Now, now let me ask you this: Like you, you spent your entire time in the NWA, right? Or one, when then it became WCW. Well, you know, you know. Now we've gotten to the Monday Night Wars. We've gotten into into the 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 Hogan Savage WWF skits, right? You know, and then was there ever, you know, and, and there's and, and they've done a lot of parodies on you know both you know uh, organizations. Was there any thought of you? Going to the WWE or being involved in some of the skits and stuff, where they have you know a fake Hogan there that would show up. Any 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 thought of that? It never came up. I would do it. Well, yeah, when I see guys that like Gilberg, you know, yeah, yeah. guys that are, are doing stuff like that they had uh, uh, the NWO Sting, which was not the real Sting, you know, yeah. Jeff. Um, so yeah, I said, well, you know, I could do that. I could be his little brother, his little cousin, or a little something, whatever. Even remember years ago, I think it was WCW, um, the referee, little Charles Robinson, who's yeah. still around, right here, little Nate, they call him, because he came out in a robe and he was doing a little thing like a, like a little nature boy, a little Ric Flair thing. He came up with Flair almost like a little manager thing for a while there. So, so yeah, I said, boy, this would be really neat. But uh, the call never came, you know. So basically, it was pin me, pay me. But <laughs> <laughs> no, when I had done it, but when I do it now, absolutely. There's a thing I see on the internet today. Somebody put on, and I don't know where it came from. Some uh, some site that that's alluring to the fact that I'm going to be on AEW wrestling Cody Rhodes tonight. There's a picture of Cody and me at Real TV. Tune in tonight. I, wow, I don't know where this stuff comes from. I saw you there. I thought he, might be, he might be backstage in AEW. We don't know. Right. He is. He is. He's there. <laughs> you go on Facebook and just look at my site. It's, 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 it's still on there. I, I, I put everything on there. I only got one one site. I don't have a bunch of different things. My my life is open. Me, my wife, my kids, my dog. You know, It's all right on there. And all my wrestling stuff, too. Now, now you alluded to it, and this is a question we always ask, right? We always ask like, the Mount Rushmore question, or, but we kind of tune it a little bit. When you're in the locker room, and you kind of alluded to it, and you're putting your boots on, and you're next to somebody, I know you talked about mark-out moments, but what is kind of the biggest mark-out moments? When you're either putting your boots on or working with somebody, you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm with X. Like, who is the a biggest? A true story. Uh, an, 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 another big moment for me. Um, I was doing TV in a tag team against Dustin Rhodes and Kendall Wyndham. They were the young Broncos at the time. Um, it was their first TV match. And uh, I'd been there a little while, and, and I was in there. And so I, I was in the ring at one segment with, uh, with Dustin. And he froze. You know, you call things. Anytime there's an element of risk in the ring, you call it. It's not choreographed. Well, maybe it is nowadays, but back then, you know, you'd see the guy, you'd spend three or four minutes, you knew the start, you knew the finish on TV, you knew how much time you had, that was it. So uh, 
And usually the guy going over, or more experienced, the heel, whatever, usually will call the match as you're going, call these things. So I'm in the ring with Dustin toward the end of uh, the match. And he pushed me into the corner, and he froze. I mean, like froze. He didn't do nothing. He didn't say nothing or anything else. Uh, it, it's like, it felt like it was for minutes, even though it was just seconds, a big dead spot. So I said, you know, shoot me in, elbow. Because when Dustin Rhodes used to do that bionic elbow thing, okay? Well, Dustin was doing that once in a while, too. So he shot me in, come out, give me the elbow. And then Kendall come in and give me a bulldog headlock or something to finish. Anyway, so that was it. Thought nothing about it, you know. And, uh, and Dustin said, hey, thanks, man. And that, that, was, that was the end of it. So I'm leaving the locker room. And walking down the hall, and here comes Dusty walking down the hall toward me. Not looking for me, but just accidentally. And he says, Hoagie. He called me Hoagie. You know, like a damn sandwich or something. Hoagie. He said, thanks for taking care of my boy. Now that right there was the moment. Wow. Dusty Rhodes thanking me for taking care of his kid. So Dustin must have either told him or Dusty being as brilliant as he was in certain areas, noticed it, whatever it was, but just Dusty Rhodes saying, Hoagie, thanks for taking care of my boy. Man, that, that was the moment. That, that, was, that was my locker room moment right there. Nice, nice. What one, other, one other moment I had, which is a funnier one. This, I was working for uh, the Fullers out in Continental Wrestling, Alabama. I'm doing TV. Um, and I get Abdullah, the butcher. Now, this guy's 400 pounds. You wouldn't know, but very, you know, he, of course, he owns, everybody knows he owns a restaurant up in Georgia now, and he's a very intelligent guy. Had a little Japanese wife. Anyways, so I'm wrestling him. Gary Hart is his manager. So, again, I didn't even talk to him ahead of time because you know what Abdullah's finish was. He dropped the the elbow, the elbow dropper. We used to call him the flying lat because he had so much skin here, you know, that it would just slap you when he hit you, the flying lat. So, so we're in there and they do the ring announcement and I turn around taking my jacket off. Next thing I know, he had like a US title or something and he hits me in the back of the head with a belt. Now he didn't use the belt or his hand, he hit me with the plate, boom. So I said, damn, you know, so this is not gonna be a little bit goofy. Went through the match and, uh, at one point, he stands on me. Now, when a big guy stands on you and they got their hands on the rope, they're taking some of the leverage off. He didn't. He didn't even hold the rope. He had one foot on my chest and one on my neck. Now, his 400-some-odd pounds just standing there. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do nothing. So then he got off. Then he got back on again. I said, damn. So he gave me a little throw, and I went outside the ring. He came right outside the ring after me, threw me back in. Anyway, he gave me the flying lat, you know, and that was it. So, uh, so when, oh, when I was outside the ring, he had a kendo stick. He had beat me like a dog. You know, sometimes you don't hit full force. He would whip me like a dog. So I get back in the locker room, and again, being respectful, everything, went back, said, thanks for the match. He says, you okay? I says, yeah, but you about beat me with that kendo stick. So he had his feet up, he's smoking a cigar, and he said, son, it's good for the business. Now, that was the old school mentality. When you're on TV, when you're close to the, the people, you're not going to pull a punch. 
You're not going to do nothing. Old school, take it. If you can't take it, don't be in the business, you know? So, uh, so that was a, another uh, memorable comment to me was, son, it's good for the business. And I always remember that. Nice. Abdullah's getting some notoriety uh, uh, shot here. Uh, <laughs> Man, that's like the first time we were, we're not going to talk about the first time he got brought up. But he got brought up with another situation that uh, we won't talk. By the way, you, you don't have help. Never mind. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> Which one? Which one? Uh, he might have got brought up about a certain uh, uh, disease. But we're not going to talk about that here. We're not going to talk about that here. <laughs> that, was a, that was a past show. But uh, Randy, real quick before we get out of here, man, I want to ask you this, man. In your everyday life still, to this day, how often do people uh, think that you're him? Or say, hey, you look like him. When you're going to the store, when you're going to the... Uh, I still get that. Now, my next birthday, woo, I'm going to be 70 years old. Wow. 70. I still got the blonde hair, huh? okay? Still got that. In the old days, I had, a I had to bleach it. Now I don't got to, man. It's all natural, you know? <laughs> but yeah, still people say, hey, you look like Hulk Hogan. So then sometimes I'll say, oh, nah. And sometimes I'll say, well, I wrestle or whatever. And of course, in my phone, I always got a couple old pictures and stuff. But I still get it once in a while. Now, when I was wrestling, even doing jobs, I go in the mall or something, and especially kids would come up, aren't you Andy Hogan? And it's, it's like, even though I got my brains beat out on TV, to them, I was a star. It's like I'm doing jobs on TV, but I go to a National Guard armory on a Saturday night and wrestle an independent show, and I'm a hero. I'm a TV star, you know. I just can't get over that mentality. And I'm really a humble guy. I mean, it never really went to my head. Right now, I'm just in awe of people that are still buying my merchandise. I just can't believe it. Well, Where were they one, when I needed it 40 years ago? <laughs> I got one last question for me. and Because I, I remember anything, I watched man, Jim anything. Cornette's you know, podcast religiously, and I and I rewatched it. You know, because they had one directly on you, and Jim Cornette had the nicest things to say about about you and that. But one one thing about what about people, how they treated you? Like, so was there any you know, as far as when you guys went to the back, were you all just the same boys? Did people treat the the the, the enhancement talent differently in the back? Like, how what happened backstage? Well, it was always kind of a split locker room. You know, you had the, the jobbers in the midweek kind of were over here and all the big guys went by themselves. Some of the big, big ones had their own little dressing rooms and such. We were all in one big old room. Everybody changed it together. Um, I never had a problem or had any heat with anybody my whole career. There were people that I didn't like, that didn't, I feel, treat me with any respect for what I was doing. And there were others that couldn't be more appreciative. People like Terry Funk, Arn Anderson, Jimmy Cornette and, and The Express, and dozens of guys like that. They were Larry Zabisco, just wonderful to me. Hey, thank you. We appreciate you know what you did and everything else. Then you got some other guys that just kind of stuck on themselves and and didn't respect you and took advantages of you. And I'll name one name, unfortunately, or is not here, but Vader. Vader was known for hurting guys because he just didn't care. Now he came from a big career in Japan, which is very stiff anyways. Okay. But he come over here and, and he did a, a power bomb and, and actually broke a kid's back 
One of them paralyzed him. Um, he got called on the carpet quite a few times um, to the point where some of the bigger guys got tired of it. And you probably are aware of the Paul Orndorff Vader locker room battle they had where Orndorff cleaned his clock. But Vader was one of those that just, he just didn't care. He was doing his thing and he didn't care to protect you, didn't treat you with any respect. And I didn't like that. Where you got big legends like Terry Funk that couldn't be more appreciative, come up to you, um, thank you, introduce themselves to you. So the locker rooms were kind of split, but you had the good guys, the bad guys. And, but the longer you're there, the more you got to know them, the more that they would joke with you and talk to you. Like Paul Heyman and uh, Cornette were both there at the time. And, uh, and I got along great with both of them. They were funny. They, they treated me and everybody else with respect. But that's the difference, man. That's it. That's it. That's another exclusive. We found out that Hogan is a Paul Heyman guy. Right. That's right. I'm a Paul Heyman, Jimmy Cornette guy all the way. Nice. Nice. Well, Randy, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for joining the Whip Show this evening. I hope you had a great time. Whip Dog, I had a ball. Thank you so much. Oh, 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 you ain't leaving just yet because we got to do our final segment. And our final segment is called, yep, yep, you ready for it, Ring the Bell. What Ring the Bell is this. We give you 60 seconds. You can talk about anything. You can promote yourself. You can inspire people. You can just sit there and stare at us. Whatever you want to do. But you got 60 seconds, Randy Hogan. I need you to ring the bell. Ding. Let me tell you, Whip Dog, this has been one of the highlights of my career. I've never been in the Motor City, baby, coming on national radio, TV, and every other media in the world, okay? Any of my stuff. You see a shirt you got on? Well, take that Hulk out of it and put Rand on it. Yeah, baby, yeah. Okay? You want something like that? A Randomania shirt? A Randomania keychain? Face masks? I got it all. Boots. I even sell my boots with an autograph on them. Just go to my Facebook page. Just look up Randy Hogan. I'm easy to find. And uh, uh, everything is on there. I respond. You can get me on uh, instant message or anything else. I'm usually always on my phone or around or whatever else. I answer my own call. I take up my own stuff. I cut my own deals. You want to buy a hundred or something, I'll cut you a good deal on that too. Do whatever you want. That's the only promo I got for that. I don't know how many more seconds I got, but for all my discourse, oh, and I may be coming up to your neck of the woods pretty soon. When all this virus crap is done with and everything else, got a call, little guy in Chicago that has a, uh, that's doing some stuff in Indiana and they're going to lower Michigan now, okay, and they're going to make their way up and he wants me to come in and just do a managerial thing or in the corner of one of his star guys. So, so I might be up in your neck of the woods, baby, and I'm going to check you both out. And one last thing. Daryl, kudos to your wife, baby. America won. She won that congressional whatever that appointment thing is. She won it. I knew it. And Hogan approved, baby. She could be our first woman president. And you could be the first man. I like that. Well, if she's the first woman president, then we she will definitely put you on the slate, man. She's gonna be <clears throat> she's gonna put you on the slate. She's gonna put Hogan on the slate. 
I want to be head of security. <laughs> love it. I love it. Me and Jesse Ventura. <laughs> Daryl. See, I thought it was another Hogan, but I think this one was even better, man. Thank you for the <laughs> surprise, man. You guys oh, are man. wonderful. Thank you so much. I got, I got the Randy Hogan action figure here. I've, I've been a, I'm a, I'm a random maniac, so I've had this for years, man. I got That's all it. this stuff. That other guy's got a bad back. My back's still good. <laughs> well, guys, check us out. You know what it is. We had another great episode of The Whip Show. You know what to do. You can check us out each and every week on Anchor. Just put in The Whip Show podcast. We on Spotify, we're on Google, we're on Apple, wherever you consume your podcast at. You can watch the video on YouTube, The Whip Show Podcast. Instagram, follow us at The Whip Show Podcast. And if you have a guest that you want on this show, because you see, we bring everybody on, email us, The Whip Show Podcast at gmail.com. But we got to get out of here, brother. I am Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple, aka Whipple Mania. We got my tag team partner. Devastating Daryl Page. And we got, I want him to close it out. Go ahead and close it out, man. And what you gonna do when Whipomania, baby, runs wild on you? Woo, with Randy Hogan. Let's go. We will see you next time on the Whip Show. Take care, guys. <laughs>